what I'm a god. I just keep being drawn back because because she's an attractive girl. What am I gonna do? I'm a 22 year old kid, and then things start getting worse. And the the big one, I still remember this argument and this fight vividly is is when she told me she was pregnant, and I was like, okay, this is nuts, because at this point in my life. I'm, if anything, responsible about very long-term decisions, right? Hello, fellow risk-takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online. The complete proven step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Ed Lattimore. Ed, are you ready to rock? Absolutely, man. Let's do it. All right. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Ed Lattimore is a former professional boxer and a veteran of the United States Army National Guard. He holds a BA in physics from Duquesne University and has written two Amazon best-selling books. Millions of people have learned from Ed's insights and experiences through his writing. He teaches the lessons he's learned via his unique path through life at his blog, The Mind and Fist, which is at edlatimore.com. He also delivers daily wisdom and observations at his own Twitter, which is at Ed Lattimore. Check him out there. All right, Ed, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. You know, probably most relevant to a lot of, I'm not most relevant, you know, I've been sober for six years. My sobriety date is December 23rd, 2013. So really, really happy about that. It's probably going to get to the point pretty soon where I can't count, but it's such a it's such an important day. I probably will never forget it. I always call it my second birthday. So that, that's pretty relevant. Now that's actually one of, one of my uh, books, my Amazon best-selling books uh, is, is called Sober Letters to Your Drunken Self. I self-published that because I wanted to write a book that I wish I was able to read when I was going through that, that time period because, it's, you know, you, you were telling me you got sober. I mean, that's not an exactly smooth path if for any no matter how you get into it if for any other reason and you are bucking against your environment a lot of your environment supports your habit and your deficiency so i wrote that book for that and also you know i grew up in in a, in a pretty about as poor as you can in america i grew up in, in public housing projects i lived in two different ones one until i was nine and then another one until i was 18 in the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I think I've come pretty far right now. I'm delivering this podcast. Uh, I'm doing this podcast with you from the from the sunny coast of, of Portugal. And I'm right outside of Lisbon in a little town called Pared. So those are two things that I, I think, you know, we fill in and give some some more, give, give the listeners a greater background into my story. Yeah. Well, I think you'll never forget the date because mine was September 15th, 1982. And I can remember it vividly. I was in a rehab hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And my parents had given me a one-way ticket from Akron, Ohio down to Louisiana. And basically my parents said, if you don't make it from the 
evaluation unit into the treatment unit, which evaluation period was like seven days. And if they thought that you could benefit from treatment, you would go to treatment. They said, if you can't make it out of the, at the end of seven days, if they don't recommend you to treatment, you can just walk out the door and enjoy your life in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And as a skinny, <laughs> as a skinny little white boy, that was a terrifying prospect with no money and now, you know, high school. And my parents were serious. And one of the reasons why I respect my mom quite a bit is because she was very tough with that. And those listeners out there know my 81 year old mother lives with me. She's listening to this podcast right now. So oh, no I, kidding. Thank you, mom, for standing by me. But the irony of the story was that on the night before they were to decide, they pulled me together at this hospital and they sat down, the counselors, and they said, we've made our decision and we've decided that you're not going to be transferred to the treatment center. And my life collapsed around me at that point. And I walked back to my room and I walked into my bathroom. I kind of fell on my knees, fell to the ground. And that was my moment of real surrender where I just realized that everything I was doing to try to make my life you know, clean, let's say, and get off of drugs and all the other things that were going on, everything I had done, it got me to that point and I had to really give up. And it was on that moment that, you know, I wouldn't say that I found God. What I did is I, I realized that I was not God. And it was, uh. that, it, was, it was that moment of surrender. And that is what I call my sobriety date. And remarkably, whether these guys were really crafty or not, the next day, for some reason, they decided to let me into the treatment center. <laughs> so, oh, no kidding. <laughs> I, I, to this day, I never knew you know, whether they were playing a game with me or whether something really changed. But that, that's my day. I think you'll never forget you know, your day. So congratulations. Yeah, yeah very, very true, man. Thank you, man. And congratulations. Yeah. Well, yep. hell, of a, hell of a way to get, <laughs> to, to get the message across they were playing a game with you. Yeah, exactly. Done very well. Before we get into it, maybe you could just give the listeners some background about your, your boxing. Tell us a little bit about what, you, you know, how did it start? What did you do? When did you leave? What, you know, what was your experience with that? Uh, yeah, so, so I actually, I started, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer, but though that's becoming increasingly common for at least in the, in the upper weight divisions where you need to be a little stronger and heftier and that your body needs time to develop that strength to really compete now anyway. I mean, I don't know how anyone could be, unless they're like just a freak of nature. And the the type of athlete that would naturally come into heavyweight boxing at, at 19 or 18 is, is probably in the on the gridiron or in the, or in the basketball court. There's just more lucrative avenues mm-hmm. for that type of athleticism. Anyhow, I'm not that kind of athlete. I, I came into the sport at the age of 22. And I was really, I did it because I needed needed to do something. I had wasted a lot of time on my life, I thought, or at least the last four years for sure. Because I, I originally tried to go to college when I was 18 and, you know, failed out miserably. Was not ready emotionally, uh, mentally, probably not, but definitely not emotionally. And so uh, I failed out and kind of wasted a four through four years almost and, and then there was a conversation I had with a girlfriend's ex 
Well, or what an ex-girlfriend's mom, I used to bash on the university system and I thought college was stupid. And this was forced to do around this woman and she was a professor. And one day she asked me, she said, she said, okay, let's say college is pointless. What have you done for the past four years that like to show your, you know, show, show something else? You know, other than like, you know, come to my house and eat my food. And, I, and she made a point that made me angry. And I said, okay, she's right. I need to do, need something in this world to put some sweat equity into at this point. You know, going back to school was, was not even in my mind with, mm. whatsoever. But that's how I got into boxing. I found an amateur gym and I decided to start competing. And I really just stuck with it. And I boxed from 22 to my last fight, I was how old was I? Thirty-two, maybe. Not mm. sure. However, I mean, that seems about right. But yeah, and I had had plans to come back and was trained to come back, and I got hurt when I was coming back after after I had a loss and then a draw, and then I took some time off because I wanted to finish school, and and I realized that I'm not Superman, and I was kind of living that way. Certainly from like 2014 through most 2016, I was burning a candle at both ends. I had you know, return to school. And I didn't return to school for a slack subject. I went back for physics and that took a lot of a lot of energy out of me. I was still in the military. I was drilling with the National Guard. I had an internship. I was running my blog and trying to box professionally. And I did all this because I felt like I was wasting I had wasted all the time of my life prior to and I needed to to catch up. So this was my method of catching up, and and it finally collapsed around me because eventually you get to a point where one thing requires more energy to step up. And perhaps if I hadn't, you know, I'm really happy how my life has turned out now, but perhaps if I hadn't been in school, I would have still been fighting or like won a world title, or if I hadn't fought maybe maybe i go active duty and i become like an officer or something or if i don't do any of those things perhaps i'm in, in a uh, phd final year my phd program and i prove something new who mm. knows but i was you know living that way and had to calm down and slow down and when i lost I'm gonna come back but then but then i got a hurt and then my coach you know he sat down with me and he was like dude look at your life and look what you've achieved and accomplished because at this point I had finally, you know, I was making money online. I had actually hmm. started a small tutoring business just, just to feed and pay for myself because when I lost, I had lost my sponsorship money and my <laughs> and all that. So I needed a job because I was going to go back to school, but no one would hire me for the hours that would make sense at a wage that I could survive on. So I figured out, hey, I, I got all this experience in, in math and science now, and I had a connection hooked me up and I started tutoring kids at 35 an hour average I eventually had to raise to 50 an hour and still had too much business which is a great problem to have especially mm. when you can work I mean I was yeah. I was making decent money at 20 hours a week if that because I was it. charging 50 50 dollars yeah. an hour so that's that's pretty much how that went and then mm. I just I was gonna. I thought about fighting and going back and forth, and then I just looked at where everything else is going in my life. And I'm, I'm very, I'm lucky because mm. not a lot of people. I mean, really, just, just fortunate. And I'm, 
I have no problem admitting the role that luck has had in my life. Now, granted, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of things I control, but I couldn't control, you know, with the brain that I was given to extract these experiences, you know, that there were a lot of things that didn't happen that could have, especially considering where I grew up. You know, I was never the victim of crime, my personality, mm. or rather never the victim of a violent crime that perhaps, you know, ends my life. Uh, my personality is such that I really wasn't interested in falling in line with the people around me. Right. And so I got the a buffer against the peer pressure that might have affected me. Mm. I, I go, I'm, I meet, I meet certain people when I transfer to certain schools and I have certain draws and boxing that make a big difference in my life. I mean, it just, there's a lot of work on my end, but, but I'm, I'll never be the guy that discounts luck. I was just, I just made sure I was always, always in a position to take advantage of it and that's one of the one of the, the more important lessons i've learned yeah. from boxing in my life it's a little bit like surfing you know if you're not out in the water with the board you're not going to catch the wave so right you know <laughs> you got to be a good surfer but you can't control those waves you know? exactly one last question i would just ask for someone like myself and other listeners who have never had to dedicate themselves to something like a sport to the extent that you have to do that to be successful in the ring, what would you say is kind of one lesson, life lesson that you took out of that from your time, you know, really drilling hard to achieve what you achieved in the ring? You know, it's funny, man, like, like boxing single-handedly changed my mindset from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset because proud of boxing, you know, I, I said that I had tried to go to school when I was 18 and, and that didn't really work out. And one of the reasons it didn't work out is is I was really bad at math. I had no confidence in my math. I just figured I was never going to understand how to think that way. And I remember in high school, when I was just like, take a bunch of biology classes because we had to take science because I didn't want to like have to do the math and chemistry or physics. And I, I thought I, would, I was stuck that way. And watching how I changed with boxing, how I went from being uncoordinated, untalented, to having all of this success, with it at an amateur level and to a lesser extent, to a, at a professional level, I remember thinking, I was like, okay, if I did this, what else can I do? And so that's what really gave me the confidence to attempt math because, you know, everything, it wasn't until I got that first, because I, I rebuilt my math skills from the ground up going all the way back to algebra. But it wasn't until I sat through that first calculus class and I really understood and got it and got the A, I was like, okay, maybe maybe I can do this. And even still, man, every, every time I, I encountered something new in physics, I was like, do I have the cognitive power mm. to take this? Or like, I mean, and so that's what boxing did for me and in the weirdest way. It made me a better student it made me realize like if, if i want to like whatever the next project is i know that i need to force myself every day to get a little bit of it done yep. and then two months down the line all i have a project and it's like oh wow but i think a lot of people don't realize that you know i, I see this a lot on my side of the internet mm. uh on my side of twitter a lot of these guys really want to get it the fast way they're not interested in getting into long, sustainable way. Mm -hmm. and, and I see that in the obsession with guys trying to make money as copywriters. And I'm like, right. okay. You know, I'm not saying copywriting is, is a positive or negative, but how about 
you create a thing that needs copywritten. Nah, it's a long way there. And then it becomes passive. You know, what well, well, mm. my obsession is search engine optimization because because no one wants to learn it because it, it's long, it's hard, it's a game of incomplete information. Mm. You got to invest in money to really, I mean, yeah, and then on top of that, it's pure results. Like, if you can't rank, you know, a co- when you when you write copy for someone, my opinion is that if the product is good, all you have to do is kind of get attention to it and not have the copy be bad. Like, as long as you can keep it from repulsing people, you're okay. SEO is is not like that. You're, you know, so so that that's where my and right. it's it's paid off. You know, I've I've got a website that passively like like when people talk about passive income, I, like I really understand this now. It's not when a lot of people talk about passive income. What they're referring to is usually is location independent income. I've I've figured mm. out not quite. I've got both, which is why, like, it quite literally doesn't matter where I'm at in the world. You know, I'm I'm not like super rich, but I am I am completely untethered from my surroundings because of location independent income and passive, and it's passive because my web because I did the work up front, the work up front. You know, obviously I'll go in there and add an article mm-hmm. when I want to, but in terms of generating the income and the attention. Bleh, Every month without fail, you know, three to five grand. And that's like not that that's nothing crazy. Yep. But it's built. And I don't I can like I could when we were moving to Portugal, my girlfriend mm. asked me, she she goes, Hey, what's like the worst, like worst case scenario income wise? And I was like, Well, I fell into a coma and couldn't do anything for thirty days because I'm location independent. Yep, well, yep. So it's machine cool. keeps yeah, cranking. But, <laughs> the machine keeps cranking, but but all that comes back to say that the biggest lesson from boxing was uh that if you just gradually work and improve and you're not afraid to take criticism and mm. suffer, you're eventually going to get better. You may not be world class, but you will improve to your optimal. You know, you'll approach your logarithmic limit of improvement. <laughs> you know. I like for the listeners out there let's keep in mind what Ed said, which if I did this, what else could I do? Yeah, pr- pretty much. Dude. <laughs> I love that. And for and- everybody, for the listeners out there, you know, here's the challenge. You know, you are someplace now that you've done a lot of work to get there. And if you did that, what else could you do? That's the challenge to think about. Well, now, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us about your story. You know, when I was, when I was thinking about which story I would tell, I had two stories in mind, but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the, the, probably the one that you, the type you don't get that often on this kind of show, but we'll see, you know? So, so yeah, when I was, the thing that led me into boxing was that conversation where, where the, the ex's mother was like, what have you done? And I was like, okay, you know, but it's important because that ex, you know, at that point in time and for most of my life until the woman I'm with now, she was the girl I was with for the longest time. I was with her for uh, four years, I believe. Maybe not even now, but but now you know we we've been together like eight years now, seven or eight, something like that. But that's kind of beside the point. The main point is that when that relationship ended, as a twenty-three-year-old kid or twenty-two, really, 
I'm like a mess, and but I'm but I'm still a guy, and so uh, I come across this girl who I should have known in the circumstances I met her, and we'll get to that. That this was not gonna, this was not a a quality human to really interact with, and I really didn't learn that until until we we started really getting even remotely serious and and I think you know aside from aside from her attitude towards my friends you know whatever I can you know I just cut them off and you keep trying to push away but but I'm a god just keep being drawn back because because she's an attractive girl what am I gonna do I'm a 22 year old kid and then things start getting worse and the the big one, I still remember this argument and this fight vividly is, is when she told me she was pregnant and I was like, okay, this is nuts. Because at this point in my life, I'm, if anything, responsible about very long-term decisions, right? So I'm like, okay, what are the odds this is my life? Like, like she's not <laughs> freaking out and she's super confident it's just me. Turns out there are two other potential fathers in the mix, right? And this is nuts. And now we got to go into the circumstance that I met her. One of the potential fathers. Now we're great friends, but he was he was dating her when I met her, mm-hmm. and then she she got and started hooking up with me while she was with him. And I was like, okay, that's how these things go. I mean, because there's a habit, there's yeah. there's a pattern. You can't expect good behavior out of bad people. You know, I, I see these people that that like will try to like marry or commit to somebody they they got with while they were in a relationship i'm like well what do you expect like they kind of told you how this was going to go so that that, that actually um wasn't even the worst part because at this point i mean i'm not not necessarily I, i wouldn't call myself an asshole at least not intentionally but but there was no way no matter what the conversation type was was i going to claim that this was absolutely my future child, that that wasn't going to happen. Mm. One thing I did, t- I took from my dad is, you know, I, I can't remember if he said it, but I feel like he said it. My, my dad died when I was 18, so mm. I'm like now it's been over almost half my life, and I'm around, I'm probably 35 in a week. Is is he was like, I, I guess he like doubted uh, his paternity, but he's like, you know, I'm not going to disappear because if if you if I'm right, I mean, maybe some, someone told me this because if I'm wrong, I miss valuable years, right? If I'm right, okay, I'll eat that. But so that's why I stuck around it. But but then my mom, she fell in love with the idea and then moved this girl into my mom's to her house, which was crazy. And it's not like. It's not like it was any secret that we did not get along because aside from all the, that that promiscuity, it was a very negative, critical attitude, very emotionally manipulative, but not really skillful enough. Look, I'm the calmest. I mean, I've taken the Myers. What is that? The Big Five personality test. Myers Briggs. Yeah. I'm an ENTG on the Myers Briggs, but on the, on the Big Five personality test, where measures extroversion, agreeableness, yeah. neur- neuroticism, consciousness, and something else, I have like I'm the zeroth percentile for neuroticism. Like it's very difficult for me, even when it appears, it's very difficult for me to get to lose control of my emotions. And and even when it appears that I'm having an emotional reaction it's almost certainly calculated for maximum effect to get things things done. Like, I'm, I'm not like a psycho. I don't, like, I, like, I definitely, like, get nervous, I guess, 
right? But uh, I, I don't lose control. It doesn't happen. It's, it's always smart. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll never forget. One night, we were, I was trying to help her learn something related to, to like taking a test to go back to school. And she just kept arguing back and then accused me of being like arrogant. And I remember standing there, my, and this is in my mother's house, right? Mm. I remember standing there and I felt like I was looking down on myself with the whole angel devil thing. And the angel is like, you know, just calm down and leave and let this go. And the devil was like, is it really going to be that bad if you just, you know, knock her out? Like, I remember actually thinking that. And I'm like, okay, that's a really bad, bad thing. And, and like, I I need to like distance myself. Of course, it took a little while to do that mm-hmm. because she was in terms with my mother and everything and then in terms with me. But eventually I break free after feeling, I mean, like, look, I don't really know what PTSD feels like. Maybe, maybe I do, but I remember thinking that, and to this day, like I, I am super sensitive now. If I, if I sense even the slightest hint of emotional manipulation, it sets me off. I had to deal with the stress of you know the the paternity suit and having mm. to go because if, for any for any guys who are unfortunate enough to have been in that situation, they know what that's like. But for the readers who don't, you know, uh, when a girl says, oh, you might be the father, you get served and you have to take a blood test and they go, you know, who is who. And it wasn't my kid. You know, right. I, I knew that, but I wasn't going to gonna take that that risk. And and then it just, it, it really left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And I really felt like, but, but, it, but it exposed a lot of things about my life. That's part of the reason I, I got so sucked in and silly thinking back on it, right? Mm. It's over 10 years ago, which is nuts, which, which is cool because I'm not like an old person, but it's, it's over 10 years ago. Think about these things. One of the reasons I got sucked in to this situation is I wasn't like stable. I mean, I, I don't think I was making maybe eight, nine hundred dollars a month uh, during this whole time. I actually lived with my mom part of the time, which added to the stress because she mm. was living in too long. But I needed a car to go places, and I was, you know, I used the car, and it was, it was a miserable situation. And one day, I, I just woke up and I was like, I can't, you know, like, my sanity. Like, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to lose my mind and do something irreversible. So either that's going to like be a problem or, or I got to, I'll, I'll have to like, I'm trying to think about the best, best way to put this. There's a scene at the end of one of my favorite video games, the old dragon quest on Nintendo. And when you get to the, to the final boss, he's like, so do you want to unite with me to rule the world or, or will you do you turn down my offer? And if you accept his offer, the game and like obviously the right choice is I reject your offer and fight. But if you accept, the screen turns this red tint and then it just doesn't continue. The game is just over. And that always stuck with me. I mean, I played this game like almost like 20 years ago at this point, longer than that. And that always stuck with me is what happens when you make a deal with the devil. Like you you lose. I'd have to change who I was fundamentally. Mm. And at that point, I realized, yeah, I got to I got to leave. I got to step away. So how did you get away? You know, the cool thing is (laughs) I don't recommend this for everybody. I mean, but I just I was 
mean this was now this was calculated malice it was very much okay i need you to think that i'm so awful to be around and i have to stay away from you on my own i mean i i said and did some things that like even to this day i'm not particularly proud of i mean mm. i guess I, I i'll share them because that's the nature of this podcast mm. I remember the last when Todd turned when I had won the battle, right? I remember we, I being at a, a party my friend was hosting and she she tagged along, and I was talking to some girl and she just she, I remember when she came over and yelled at me, "Oh, if you like her so much, why don't you just you know bleep her, right?" And so. Oh, first, so, so now I'm, I'm super angry and I, I walk home. It was like a, it was like a two mile walk home. I walk home and just leave. I'm like, this gotta stop. So at this point, her son is actually born, and so so I, I start saying mean things about her in relation to the kid, and that that ticked her off to the point where she couldn't. And I was like, okay, I found the weak spot. And it worked. And I, I, it's a very clear day. I remember, I think I called the kid a bastard, like in the purest definition of the word. Mm. And just could never let that go. And that's good because I don't know if I would have made the right decisions going forward. But I guess I was being correct because I knew mm. that, like, it was, that wasn't an accident. Like It was very much like, let me figure out kind of the worst thing to say but that will have an effect because i knew insulting her wouldn't really work yeah so i i went with that that route and and dude it was it was aside from you want to talk about like the damage i think the the biggest damage i i sustained with that is i had i had have always had a somewhat shaky relationship with my mom Mm. but that really set it back because because I felt for like a long time that she chose this stranger over me because mm. I needed a place to stay too. I was in yeah. bad shape. But and she, she didn't tell me I couldn't stay there. I just wouldn't stay there. And she was very much aware of the dynamic of our relationship as it, as it deteriorated. So that really set me back a big deal because I I was I had you know got over a lot of stuff to my mom from from growing mm. up, and this just <laughs> ruined it. it. Also turned me into somewhat of a, of a raging misogynist for, for a little while. And and, do, and I and I'm using the word in the correct sense, like not not somebody who just wants to like not buckle to to the popular perception of how uh, the more rather the modern perception how many women should be like no i was i i turned into somewhat of a woman hater i was very <laughs> i mean i hurt i guess is the best way but, but hurt is not quite the right word um it, it, was, it was it was traumatic man because mm. i don't get angry like when i get angry i physically feel it like and I feel it for like a day. So my I was, but I was I was angry. Like <laughs> it's funny because like I mean I tell this story to people who weren't around for that, but have been in my life since, and they can't imagine me being angry, but then consistently like every other week having something to yell about, scream about, be be out of control about, and I don't say you know it's just her fault. 
I'm the one who followed, you know, what is that mm. old saying? The road to hell is paved with beautiful women. With good, in- I, uh, good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> and beautiful I, women. The, yeah, I, I'm the one who, who walked Fell for down it. that path. Yeah. But, but the, you know, that was my, it was a bad and, investment and, of and my energy. Do you recall the day that you felt free from that? Like after that, it took I, a while when you I, really felt like I'm past I, this now? You mean like like emotionally passive yeah. where I feel yeah, like, like you're free. I mean it's a what you're talking about is an emotional loss. And it right. takes time to recover from a financial loss, an emotional loss, but the benefit is that over time we start to recover from that. If I could choose a time, I I guess an event that marks me being like past or over it would probably be the, the the next relationship i was i was willing to get into and and doing the math i know it's no le- it's between four and five years later mm. yeah but you know, but since then i've been i mean but it, it was i mean it was gradual i mean i yep. and then that sent me on a spiral other things i mean now that i'm sure it's no coincidence that, that was the period of time when my drinking was the absolute heaviest because now I'm like, yo, I'm going to be a man whore. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to. On top of that, I'm not going to behave in any type of of respectful way because cause I've seen what happens yep. when you do that. So how would, you like, list, how would you list out the lessons that you learned from this? Okay. There, there are quite a few. I, I, I feel like I need to, to write a blog on this or, or at least a newsletter because I've written about a few other things. One, the, the the single biggest lesson is when you, first of all, well begun is half done, right? Mm. That That is, you know, the single biggest, but a big reason I was even in this situation is because of the, or at least I think the writing was on the wall is probably a better way to put it. Mm. Like, like, like if I met this, cause, cause you know, she met other guys and under normal circumstances and, and they found out the hard way. But if I had looked and said, okay, here's a person willing to screw around, probably not gonna work out. Well, mm. probably not someone of high, high character and, um, and like moral integrity. Certainly, I could not have predicted the anger that I would experience. But that's a big one, you know. Yep. You, you you gotta you gotta make sure you pick people <laughs> the right ways. You gotta have a betting process. I also, you know, really became a big fan of slow to uh, slow to hire, fast to fire. At that point, mm-hmm. and that, that after that, I was willing to walk out mid date because I was like, you know what. This does not look like it has potential, or you look like someone who's going to make me feel or think a certain way. Let me eject. And and that might sound like I'm closing myself off and not giving people a chance. But here's what, what I've learned and, and certain certain things I've read since then have confirmed this primarily Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink. Mm. He talks about how the information you glean from from micro interactions, split second, you know, just watching a couple argue for for like thirty seconds, or looking at somebody's room. There's, I think that was an experiment where, like, like they were able to figure out a person's mm. academic yep. standing by just passing by their door room for a split second. You can gain quite a bit of information 
from little things once you know how to connect them and what they mean. And I think what people call premature judgment in many of these cases mm. is is just another way of saying I am naive. Like, like I don't have enough experience to know that if I date somebody who is critical, all heavily critical of everything, mm. there is no positivity where right. if I date somebody that is a critic of everything, they are likely going to. <laughs> it's a sign. Be a, right. That, that's all it is, right? <laughs> the, the, these no burgers. Well, yeah, I, I, I really learned to trust my like it's better like intuition i think when yeah i think when it comes to personal relationships because we only have a finite amount of time on this planet and then you want to talk romantic we have we have an even smaller window because you know post puberty pre Mm. reproductive wall so you know you got like 30 good years maybe 40 if you take care of yourself to really maximize that time and you got to make the best decision so in that regard i think it's better for you to cast a we have have two high standards and block out and lose some potential good ones but block out a sea of bad ones than it is to have two lower standards and have way too many bad ones in the sea of good ones. Now you don't want them to be absurdly high. Right. And I and ideally you don't ever lower them to the point where like you end up with a pool of, you know, fifty percent bad, fifty percent good. Well now you got a, now now everyone's a coin flip based on your decision. Mm-hmm. But but you you need to to be discerning. And that is the biggest thing. I mean, really discerning and not not ever willing to kind of stay in a situation any longer than than you have to. What what is he saying? He you never get attached to something you can't walk away from in five minutes. Like that's like now. Granted, you know, with with my, my girlfriend now because time, 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 and it's proven, proven, proven in grim match history. Mm. Like right, I would. I would, I would more than now if like something crazy happened, like all of a sudden she was making me mad. I'd, I'd, I'd actually ask myself one, okay, what's going on in my life? Then mm. suddenly, and then two, if I couldn't find anything, I would be like, okay, let's sit down and talk. What's going on? But that's because that's an earned response. But right. coming in off out of the gate with that stuff, I mean, I think when I when I watch guys complain about certain things in a relationship. Our girls too, because it goes both ways. I'm like, like you have to realize the mere fact that you stuck around means that you are endorsing and encouraging that behavior. Like the longer mm. you're with, you can't really like, like the harder it gets for you to go. This is a problem now. It's mm-hmm. like it's like my buddy always says about like if you date an overweight woman, if you give her when she's overweight, you have zero leverage to help her lose weight. And on the off chance that you do, she'll go, hold up. This guy dates fat women. I don't want to be with him. Like, like there's no win. So you have to come into a situation the right way. And that is, I mean, that's really the biggest lesson. You, you yep. got to enter these things the right way. You got to, after that point, I, I really turned into pretty, like, like, like the courtship I had with, with mm. oh, my girl now was, was probably rough. I've actually apologized for it a few times, <laughs> and every now and then I still do. But that experience, you know, let you know that the, the more potential you think someone has, 
the greater you have to be with that. Like, like if, mm. if she was just going to be a throwaway, you know, who cares? Who cares if she, she's a crackhead? Like, who cares, right? right? But, but because each date, each interaction, okay, you got a little more potential. Mm. Then, then, build on and, this, that. And, then, and then this is very counterintuitive to a lot of people, especially in dating. But the more potential you see a person has, you have to vet a little more because that means that each positive thing in the in the score chart is gonna keep you around a little longer. And then when you encounter that thing that's a problem, you gotta be like, okay, this, this, and this, and you start rationalizing bad behavior or the mm-hmm. or, or behavior that's going to make it difficult for you to be in a relationship. Yep. So that's why the, the the vetting becomes even more important. Vetting. Um, the vetting. longer you're with, the, the more potential. Yeah. When you're not, when, if, you're, if you're just looking at somebody for like a night of entertainment, like I said, hey, they mm-hmm. could be they'd be a crackhead running from the law. Uh, doesn't matter, but if if you meet someone in the city, it's gonna go well. No, I mean, I, I, and obviously you don't take these things to extremes, but like it's certainly a, a mindset that I did not have. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, summarize some of the things I take away from it and uh, see what you think. The first one is it reminds me of my first girlfriend when I was twenty years old, Nina from Pasadena, and uh, I've completely lost touch, but we had a really rough relationship and there was a lot of insecurity in that relationship. But my friend asked me after I, after we broke up, which was painful, even getting to a breakup, he said, why did you like her? And I said, cause she liked me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That was good enough. You know, she was beautiful and she liked me. So the second thing I take away is that breakups are ugly for everybody. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, the ethics of crime, you know, when you think about it, a lot of people think about people that are in jail. You know, I have a friend that's just finished serving 10 years in jail in Thailand, new back to the UK, continues to be in jail. And he was caught with a small amount of drugs. He wasn't a dealer. You know, he didn't have any money. You know, he was just got in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he got busted. So, Let's just compare that friend of mine who's been in an awful Thai prison for 10 years to another guy that I know who around that same time had the same amount of drugs in his hands, but he didn't get caught. And he didn't get caught. He didn't get caught. You could argue maybe just simply because of luck. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, you know, is one of these two people more guilty than the other? Well, the ethics of randomness tells us actually, no, they're equally guilty. It's just that one of them got caught. And it, it's a great reminder to tell me that, you know, to, to remind me that whether that breakup is out in the open or whether it's hidden and nobody saw it, they're probably equally ugly for everybody's breakup. You know, if somebody comes to me and tells me they broke up with someone and it was sweet and smelling like roses and we love each other, blah, 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 probably not the case. Yeah. (laughs) The third thing is the idea which you hinted at it, which is make a list. My sister told me a story about a friend of hers who had a really bad relationship. And the minute she got out of that relationship, she sat down at a coffee shop or whatever and wrote down what she wanted out of a relationship. And, you know, what were the bad signs that she wanted to remember? And she put that away and she didn't date for a long time, but she dated another guy. And she said she pulled that thing out 
and she realized that guy was the same thing as the last one and so she decided get out of it and so yeah <laughs> she did it through making a list the last thing is i i wrote down when the writing is on the wall read it right <laughs> <laughs> man, hey what's a, that what's that writing on the wall no never that's mind some great poetry man it, like absolutely and then people two things man first of all great great takeaways uh, one thing I, I want to add to that, though, is, is you know, when you have that list, you got to make sure that this and this was a big problem of mine for a long time, really, actually, even after this is until you become a person of substance, until you have things and accomplishments that make you attractive, then what you're effectively relying on is the lowest common denominator, how sexually attractive someone finds you. Mm. And that means that by definition, you're going to bring in a lot of what the, as they say what the cat dragged. And there's a lot of negative externalities when you consume only that resource. Like you're, like you're going to have a lot of problems. And that was my problem. Well, I, I think that, was, that goes back to the, what the professor said to you. Like, what have you done? What, right, what, like, what value have you brought to this world? And there was no value at all. And that, that's, I mean, that happened at the same point in time. And I was like, oh, here's a, here's a cute girl that's interesting to me. Let me, let me snag it up as opposed to like, like let's pretend now I'm single. That thing happened, man. Like, you, you look at like, what is wrong? Like, do you understand who I am? Like, what is wrong with me? Like, uh, leave. But the, me then, you know, there's, there's no well, let's let's wrap it up by going back <laughs> to, you know, what age were you at that time? Was it 20? 20... 20... Three. I remember okay. where I had my. I remember my twenty fourth birthday. Twenty three. Yep. Then you kind of lose. Yeah, mm -hmm. so twenty three. So let's say twenty three. So I want you to think about a twenty three year old, who's in roughly your same situation as you were then, based upon what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn. What one action? I'm going to hold you to one action. What one action would you recommend this guy take? to avoid suffering the same fate. He's walked into this relationship, he's seen some writing on the wall or whatever that is. What one piece of advice would you give him? One moment. You know, I had to figure out how to say this succinctly. Get a monetizable skill set. Yeah, because it's amazing how, look, the, you can be in the gym, you can look as good as you want, you can have I'll be, be, be the cool guy, but there's nothing quite as freeing as knowing that you have your own money and your own independent, like nothing makes you feel more independent and nothing gives you more, more standards. And even though it's not like related to anything in a relationship per se directly, one of the big problems I had, man, is, is I knew that it, it was just going to be a hard battle because I didn't bring anything to the table, so yep, I should yep. put so the question. Yeah, that, I like the idea of using the question, what are you bringing to the table? Mm -hmm. you know, like, what are you bringing to the table? And I, yeah, I, it doesn't have to be, you know, obviously, well, I think, you know, one of the things I always say about, I've had some women ask me for advice about relationships, which I always tell them, don't ask me because I've never even been married. But, <laughs> but I say, I say just one thing that I learned about myself is that my self-worth or a man's self-worth really can ride a lot on their job, their, what they're doing, the money that they're making, like their, 
if they're disrupted in that, if it's not working out, if they lost their job, it's a lot more impactful, I believe, for a man than it is for a woman. And if a woman can understand that, yeah. then she can see that a man does derive a certain amount of confidence from work. Whereas a woman may say, why do you have to get that from work? Well, it's, you know, we go out and hunt, bring food. Well, home. yeah, I, I just commented on somebody's post today and I reminded them that women are, or, you know, any women listening, just, just hear me out before you react. The women are sex objects and men are success objects. And what I mean by that is that men derive a lot of value from their work. And in turn, women look at that and that's how they size the God. They go, okay, what does the God do? Right? That, what is, that, that's like if a girl talks about a new God or girlfriends, they always ask, what's the God do? A lot of them, if they're worth anything, anyhow, yeah. and not like nine, not like 18 year olds. Right? But, uh, on the other end of it, a guy, you know, looks and goes, what is, what, what does she look like? And, and women, even if they don't acknowledge this directly, the makeup, the industry, have you ever seen a women's uh, underwear section? So many varieties. That's crazy. Like, guys are just like boxer briefs. Boom. Like, and they are, are, are if you're, if you're snazzy, boxer briefs. And, <laughs> you know, you know, well, but it's, it's like, but there's so many different styles and cuts yeah, and looks and that because they understand that appearance is their their weapon and and the thing that we put the most value on yeah. initially. All right, last question: What's your number one goal for the next twelve months? Oh man, so so I really hate making goals like this because I'm not a big fan of the outcome. But but I thought about everything I was doing and what it centers around. I think my 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 direct goal I'd like to earn a quarter million dollars this year mm. that would represent growth and each year i've been growing Ben, this would be a a big stretch and i like you know do it all in line that's the biggest goal because because that, that encompasses everything i'm doing because because I, I sat down and i figured what's really important to me writing and teaching so mm. i figure if, if i continue to double down on that continue to sharpen up my seo skills take on different clients and things like that i think i'll i'll get there i'm i'm you know, January was the highest earning month of my entire life. If we have a, if we have a, a few more months like this, then then it, it'll it will be it'll be one of those goals where I'll look back and go, why didn't I set it higher? But exactly. yeah, that I mean that's that's the goal. With the next twelve months, I'll, and if I'll you want to like direct that comment, yeah, yeah. you know, pay off my student loans. I paid off another loan today, so I just keep. Or rather, I paid it off like two weeks ago. They just sent right. me the official, hey, congratulations. Nice, <laughs> nice. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Ed, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for the bravery of bringing your worst investment, in this case of time and a relationship, and turning it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Well, begun is half done, man. It just, just if you remember that, you can save yourself a lot of trouble. <laughs> well begun is half done. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help you create, grow, and most importantly, protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.